you want to turn in your Bible this morning, we'll be in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Romans, chapter 8. The very first three words in verse number 28, I'm, I'm going to read one passage this morning. And we're just going to spend the morning taking a look at this one passage and what it means in COVID-19. What it means in 2020. What it means when it seems like nothing makes sense, everything's upside down, everything's going wrong, turmoil and crazy stuff, and wearing masks to church, and many churches not even having church. But it starts out, Romans chapter 8, verse number 28, the first three words says, and we know. You might want to get your pen right there if you're one of those that underlines in your Bible or highlights things in your Bible or makes notations or things that are of importance. And you might want to highlight or underline those two words, we know. We don't hope so. We don't think that it might be partially true. We, we don't have an expectation and a wondering that maybe it might come to pass. We know, amen? We know that all things work together. Now that's another word right there that you really might want to underline because that's a key word in the passage because at no point does it say that everything is good. At no point has it backed up and said that having to close church doors for 12 weeks was good. At no point has it backed up and said a lot of the things that people are going through in this world right now are good. But what it does say is that it works together. So a key word here in this text that we know is that it works together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God, I thank you so much for this book. I thank you for every single word in it. I thank you for the promises, God. I thank you that I can know. I thank you that I can know that I'm a child of the king because this word told me so. That I can know that my sins are washed away, separated as far as the east is from the west because you told me so. That I can know that all things have passed away and all things have become new because I've seen it, God. I've seen what you've done in my life and the life of those around me. I thank you, God, that I can know. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to hope that I can know that right now in 2020, we didn't fall off the map. Nothing caught you by surprise. Nothing came off guard. And that you got something planned and it is to work out for your glory, but it's for our good, God, to bring us closer to you that we might be one. Father, I ask you to take this message. Bless your children. Bless your people. Do it what you will, God. Help me to speak the things that you would have me to speak that I might be pleasing to you. We love you, God. You've been so good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching through the, the book of Romans here this past week. We were in chapter 4. We looked at the first 14 verses there in chapter 4. And we focused on... One word. This past Wednesday night, we focused on the word alone. One word alone. If we had a word that we'd focus on this morning, it'd be two words. It'd be we know. But on Wednesday night, we, we looked at the word alone. Can I tell you this morning, in your life, in everybody's life, Christ is enough alone. If you're going to be saved, Christ is is enough alone. It's not Christ plus anything else. It is Christ alone. The cross is sufficient payment enough alone. It's not the cross plus anything else. The cross is payment enough alone. It's not the blood of Jesus Christ plus works. It's not the blood of Jesus Christ plus anything else. It is the blood of Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't need any help. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father alone. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is seated there as our mediator making intercession on our behalf alone. He doesn't need any other help. He doesn't need our help in works. He is enough alone. I told you on Wednesday night, I feel sorry for those people. Have spent some time with one this week. I feel sorry for those people that believe they can lose their salvation. 
I feel sorry for those people that believe they can get in a dirty lake and it can wash the blood of Jesus Christ off of their body. I feel sorry for people who believe their name has been written down in glory in the blood of the Lamb and can be erased by a magic eraser. I feel sorry for those who do not believe that Jesus Christ is enough alone. I feel sorry for those that, that believe that Jesus is the way to be saved, but the only way to stay saved is to live a perfect life after your salvation. I'm just curious if I were to take a poll. I wonder how many people in here have committed any kind of a sin since you got saved. You can raise your hand and you can sit there in your sin. To lie is a sin. Every one of us have thought and probably even done things against the will of God since we were children of God. That did not negate my salvation. That just made me have to go back to my father and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed up again. But the same blood that cleansed all my yesterday's sins is the same blood that's already washed away all my tomorrow's sins. I feel sorry for people that, that believe they can lose the free gift of God. To say that I can get it and to lose it is to say that God's promise is not certain. To say that I can be saved and then be lost means that God's promise does not last forever unless I help it. It does not last forever unless my works are sufficient to earn it that I might keep what I was freely given. I feel sorry for those that, that believe that one day they can be a child of God and the next day they can die and, and go to hell if they don't live a perfect life. That is saying that you're saved by the grace of God, but then you are kept saved by your works. That is not what the Word of God says. It says that my salvation, your salvation, their salvation, it is the free gift of a loving, gracious God, not of works. At no point does works enter the equation, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if you've not been joining us on Wednesday night, I would love to have you join us. We've been doing live stream for quite some time at 7 o'clock. And I noticed this morning as I was looking at the Facebook, looking at the intro coming in, that it said we're doing online services only on Wednesday night. That is no longer true. Beginning Wednesday night, we will have services in the house. Beginning Wednesday night, we will have junior church, first through fifth. They will be in the gym. You can bring them in as early as 6.45. We're not going to take them early. Um, but that's just that much longer. We have to keep them basically with, without some structure. So they'll begin taking your first through fifth graders in the gym at 6.45. Service will begin at 7 o'clock for junior church. Our emerged students will be downstairs in the rock, sixth grade through eighth grade as always with Pastor Jason Ritter. Uh, our focus students will be over here with, with Pastor Brandon, 9th through 12th. And also our college and career, The Bridge, with Pastor Dale Prather will be in their room next door. I don't know that we have a name for that, but it's right next door to the rock. And right here in the sanctuary, we will have adult services beginning on 7 o'clock or on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Amen? So this morning, though, I, I want to look ahead a little bit. When you're studying through a book, it's not like I just studied that passage. You kind of study through the whole book and back up. And, and you see things, and sometimes God says, this is for such a time as this. this. This is the for here and now. I'm not sure when we'll get to chapter 8 in our study on Wednesday nights. But for this morning, I want to look at this one very familiar passage. Because you've heard me say many times, the Word of God has not changed. There's no oops or uh-ohs. There's no backup. There's no erase marks in here. There's no repair marks. There's no whiteout. Everything in it is still the same. God wrote it in the beginning. And most of the time, if I'm saying God's Word is still the same and nothing's changed, I'm relating to 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that says, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I think that's a promise that we really need to be holding on to in August of 2020. I think that's something we really need to be reminded of, that God hasn't taken that out of the equation. It's still there, and that is still based on God's children, which are called Christians. 
But another thing that hasn't changed is our passage here this morning from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It has not changed because 2020 got here. All things work together for good for them who love God, for them who are called according to His purpose. It did not change when COVID-19 came onto the scene. Nothing all of a sudden changed, and well, things used to work together for good, but now we got some uh-ohs in the equation, and things just aren't working quite the same as it were. I will admit that 2020 is a crazy year. I, I think that's to put it mildly. I, I would feel comfortable saying, and, and I wasn't around back in World War II, and I wasn't around the last time when the churches shut down because of, of a flu that entered into our country. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> talking to Ms. Massengale, Robin's grandma, and she said, well, it was different then. We didn't have no cars. We didn't have no money. We couldn't go anywhere anyway. So the churches were shut down. They couldn't go anywhere, but nobody had anywhere to go or anything to do. So I wasn't alive back in that day, but I would venture to kind of step out on the edge right there and say, probably the craziest year that any of us have lived in. Things have been weird to say the best, but, but even in the midst of a pandemic, even right here in the midst of COVID-19, even in the midst of social distancing and every other pew sectioned off, even in the midst of having to wear masks just to come to church. We are in a day, there's now 17.3 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide. Latest stat I looked at, over 4.5 million of those are right here in the United States. 673,000 deaths worldwide. These aren't inflated numbers. This is, I look at both sides. When I'm trying to look at statistics, I look at the side that the liars like to put out and the side that those telling the halfway truth. I don't know if there's an honest group out there. But I look at the liar side and the halfway truth side and try to put in the middle. But to be honest, num numbers are real. Numbers don't lie. 673,000 deaths worldwide, more than 154,000 of those are right here in America. 168,000 cases of COVID-19 right here in the state of Georgia. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people probably think like I do, and that's a scary thought to think that anybody would think like me. But there is the possibility that some of you probably think like me, and I can't help it. It's just the way I grew up, moving mobile homes. We just used to being hurt, and it rains, and things are bad, and you just keep doing what you do, and nothing really matters. So I can't help it. I'm, I'm wired that way. But I think a lot of this is seriously overinflated. I, I, I think there, there's a lot of sounding of horns going off that, that really don't need to be. I, I think the tornado sirens are going off here around Troop County and the bad weather is over in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? I, I think it's a little further away from us for, for the most part. I, I, I don't think it would be inflated quite as much as it is if it were not an election year. Now, I don't know if I'm right. I'm not giving you any statistics. I'm just kind of letting you see what I think. Here, here's the thing that I know, though. I know that more than 100,000 people a month are dead because of COVID-19. I know that. I know that people in here are subject that if they were to catch it, it would be fatal to them. The reason I have you wear a mask to sit here is very uncomfortable, but it's because I do believe that COVID-19 is real. My daughter works in ICU. Holly works over there in the ER. Holly, shake your head, yes or no. Is it very real? You can watch these people that are calling it inflated and saying, oh, they've been behind the scenes and undercover and it's not real, but you can talk to people that work in the medical field that are having to make a living with a mask on their face and face shields on that are dealing with these people that, that are dying, and they can tell you the stuff's very real. So, so do I think it's overinflated? Yes. Yes, but does that change the fact that, that I believe everybody sitting in this room right now, if you're even a fraction of honest with yourself, you have someone in your family that you do not want to get this. I don't believe there's a person in here right now that you do not have someone in your family that you pray to God every day, if somebody's got to get it, let it be me. But God, don't let it be them because you know if they get it, it's probably the end of the road. So, so the stuff is very real, whether inflated or, or not. In January of this year, just before the outbreak, just before all got going, things were great in America. 
Unemployment was down. Income was up. Is there an amen in the house? New home sales. Where are my realtors? New home sales were, were off the charts. They were building subdivisions, flying up everywhere, houses selling left and right. New cars were flying off the lot. Life was great in January of 2020. Anybody agree with that? I mean, the only thing would have been better is if Georgia could have got in the playoffs and won the national championship. Could have, only thing could have made it better. Amen. And now we open the season with Alabama, so it ain't going to happen in 2021. And I don't know if fans even get, hey, don't be cutting me off. I'm preaching here. I'm working towards something. There's something good coming. I promise you I'm building something. You build a house, the foundation don't look right. You just give me some time. I'm building something. Don't be cutting me off. In, in, in late February, things began to look a little weird. Coming into March, they even asked the church, along with every other business, organizations, places of gathering, they asked the church to close down for two weeks to help spread, to help slow the spread of the virus. Now, those of you that were here know that on the first week they asked, I said, that ain't happening. I hadn't seen enough evidence. I hadn't seen enough stuff. And, and I'll be honest, God is very good at putting a group of people together to accomplish his goal. If you had me alone as your pastor, you would be in some more kind of trouble. We probably wouldn't have never shut the church doors. You probably wouldn't have on masks, and every one of us would probably have COVID-19, and it'd be my fault. But, but God has given us a great staff to put together, to, to work together, to find some common grounds in the middle to keep the place safe. God has, has put that together. I'm very grateful for what, for what God is doing here. Amen? But 12 weeks later, they asked us to close for a couple of weeks. That, that was really, really hard. That was really hard to, to shut these doors. A tough call. But it's just going to be for a couple of weeks, right? Twelve weeks later, we were among some of the first to ever reopen our doors. We, we were among some of the first churches to actually bring people back in. Yes, a lot of them did parking lot. A lot of them have done different things. Some have never closed. But for the most part, especially in our community, but looking around, we, we were among the first right now putting our children's programs back in i can tell you if you look around we're among some of the first that is attempting this yes we're we're wearing masks because i don't want to negate this i don't want to bring it in and then cause something that causes us to have to turn around and shut church down again i can tell you that in the past month in america thousands of churches that had reopened have had to reclose that they reopened many without safeguards pretty much all of them without masks, and they've now had to reclose because of what is going on around their communities. A lot of churches today still aren't open. A lot of your mega churches today still are not open. We, we looked at some up in Atlanta. We looked, Robin and I looked on the internet yesterday at New York. We looked up at Pastor Ike Reichert's church, and he put out a very heartfelt, they were prepared to reopen and had to change that. A lot of large churches especially have still not reopened. A lot of Christian events and Christian concerts, Christian gatherings, many of those things have had to be canceled since February and certainly since March. Um, He's Alive was just one of thousands of Easter play programs that had to be canceled. Judgment Journey. It's one of the latest casualties of COVID-19. There's a lot of things going on that, that, that just don't make sense. A lot of churches that are back together, some wearing masks, which is a very small number of churches that are, but some wearing masks, others just strongly encouraging masks, makes no sense to me. You can't go in a store without a mask. You can't really go in public without a mask. Everybody else requires it. I don't know why we've expected it to be any different at church because this is the people we care the most about. I don't know those people in Walmart. I love them because Christ tells me to, but I don't love them like I do you. I'm not as worried about protecting or defending them as I am you. 
So I, I don't really understand why there's any confusion over the mask. We, we, we wear them everywhere else. But, but nonetheless, um, nonetheless, several churches are back in place. Some with masks, some without. I told you a few weeks ago that we're living in the day of Isaiah chapter 5 where they call evil good and good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse number 21 of Isaiah chapter 5 says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. We are living in the day where hoodlums, lawbreakers, troublemakers, lost sinners are burning down buildings, tearing down monuments, destroying public and private property and blaming it on the good. Destroying things while blaming things on the law, while blaming things on police officers. I read a blog this week in my phone showing some of the riots. And it showed what some of them were saying. I wasn't listening. They were was, was putting it out the words. And I had my phone silent just looking. But a row of police officers and, and these thugs, I hope somebody kills you and your whole F-bleeping family. That's the world we're in. They call good evil, but yet you've got some media calling evil good. I'm sorry, but tearing up stuff and burning down buildings and cussing and causing riots and hurting people is not good. And it's not done by Christians, and it's not done by good people. It's done by thugs and troublemakers. The bottom line, people are looking for someone else to blame if they don't get their way. If anything isn't going perfectly in line with what they want, they're looking for somebody to blame. So today, for right now, they're blaming it on those who have sworn to enforce the law and have dedicated their lives to protect mine and yours. They have dedicated their lives to enforce the law of the land, that to enforce the good. If we did not have laws, then no one would have anything. It would just be trouble and fighting and shooting and stealing. And that's what we see in this lawlessness. The problem in this world today is that nobody wants anybody telling them what to do, even God. I'm my own man. Nobody going to tell me what to do. I don't want nobody calling sin, sin. Who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? I'm not. I'm saying what the book says. Who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner? Well, I'm just looking at the fruit, and you got some stinky fruit, and this says that the stinky fruiters are going to hell. So, so I'm not passing judgment. They don't want anybody pointing out that sin is sin. They don't want anybody pointing out their evil deeds in this time that we're in. I told you. It's just a matter of time till they'll get tired of that with the police. You know, things only last a little while, right? They'll get tired of that, but that won't be the end of the road. They're going to look for somebody else to blame. They're going to look for the next finger to point, and they're coming to the church. You rest assured, they're going to come to the ones that are calling sin, sin. They're going to point at the ones that are saying that is against the law. It's against the law of the land. It's against the law of God. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of your sin. They're going to come after the ones that are putting it out. Well, I want to read an article to you that I read about a week ago. This was published on July the 10th. It says, Weeks after President Trump demanded that America's shuttered houses of worship be allowed to reopen... New outbreaks of the coronavirus are surging through churches across the country where services have resumed. So you see right off, it's President Trump's fault for calling the church back together. Should have been the first thing this country did. Call the church back together. 
call the nation to its knees, call the nation to prayer. Should have been the first thing done. But you see right off, it's President Trump's fault because he said what we need is for the Christians to reconvene and begin to pray for this country, which automatically tosses it over so it becomes his fault and the church's fault. Next sentence. The virus has infiltrated. I want you to pay attention to that word infiltrated. Everybody know what infiltrated means? Every one of us must have COVID-19, and we've given it to thousands out there on the street. Because it has infiltrated Sunday sermons, meetings of ministers, and Christian youth camps. I'm sorry, but I thought most all those had even been canceled. It has struck churches that reopened cautiously with face masks and social distancing in the pews, as well as some others that defied lockdowns and refused to heed the new limits on numbers of worshipers. Pastors and their families have tested positive, as have church ushers, front door greeters, and hundreds of church going. They don't mention the fact that the majority of those contracted it from outside the church. The majority of those got that from work or from home or from, from an outdoor area. Now, I'm not denying the fact that people have gotten sick from coming to church. I'm not denying the fact that there are churches coming together and hugging and doing things and not wearing masks, and one of them comes in and more of them get sick. I'm not denying that. That's the truth of the situation. But, but they're putting it that it is that is infiltrated, and they're saying that all of these that held any position that God had as a position in the church, they got sick because they came to church. In Texas, about 50 people contracted the virus after a pastor told congregants they could once again begin hugging one another. In Florida, a teenage girl died last month after attending a youth party at church. 154,000 people have died in America. This one girl, they don't even know for sure, may have contracted it at a youth party at a church. And this one person died. And out of 154,000, that's the one you're going to point out. More than 650 cases have been linked to nearly 40 churches and religious events across the, the United States since the beginning of the pandemic. That's six months ago. 650 people. That's what they have for their study with many of them erupting over the last month as Americans resumed their pre-pandemic activities according to a New York Times database. Four and a half million people in America have gotten COVID-19. They have 650 cases that they can talk about in this article, but it's the church's fault. 650 out of four and a half million. Christians wearing masks, Christians following social distancing, parking social distancing, following guidelines, the truth, following the law of the land. That's what God's children should do. If the land has a law that's not contradictory to the laws of God, then we are to follow it. Christians following the law of the land as Christians should do, but yet it is their fault. But yet... All of these riots of thousands of people in the street have nothing to do with this. They don't bother to mention any of this. I've not seen one newscast blame the spread or the outbreak on them. Matter of fact, with my ears, I may be wrong. I'm not watching a lot of news. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm reading some stuff, and I can barely stomach that. I'm reading a lot of stuff, but I ain't listening to much because most of it ain't worth listening to. But with my own ears, I'm just telling you, the only person that I have heard that had the brass to stand up and say the riots is when all of this outbreak started is our president. President Trump said, y'all want to blame this stuff on everywhere else. The outbreak started when we started having thousands and thousands in the street rioting and running around in these tight little groups doing what they're doing. Governors, you need to get a hold on your state. Mayors, you need to get a hold on your cities. You need to put a stop to this stuff. You need to clean up the roads. You need to break up these outbreaks. You need to stop this in your town. That's when the outbreak started. He's the only one that I heard that had the brass to stand up and say, that's what's caused all this stuff. It's not the churches regathering six foot apart wearing masks. The article goes on to say, there's a very fine line between protecting the health and safety of people and protecting the right to worship, says George Murdoch, county commissioner in northeastern Oregon, where the largest outbreak in the state was traced to a Pentecostal church in a neighboring county. It's one that we've been watching very nervously all along. 
Walmart never closed. And we never stopped going there. Home Depot never closed. We never stopped going there. The grocery stores never closed. Listen, I'm not casting rocks at them. I'm not singling them out. I'm not even saying that they should have closed. But it's amazing to me that someone would have the audacity to print such a stupid article and blame that stuff on the churches beginning to get back together. We are living in a day when you look at Romans 8.28 and go, How? How? All things work together for good? How? What is the good in what we're facing today? What is the good in our situation? Well, Isaiah tells us in chapter 55 that God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to encourage Christians. I want to take a few minutes, and I want to look here at the Word of God. I want to look at some of... God's ways that certainly in the day would have been like, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this? How could this possibly bring anything good? We look back in the Old Testament today and all these stories make perfect sense to us because we read the beginning and the end. So it took 400 years to accomplish and 400 years, look at the end. God accomplished something through everything that he did so it makes perfect sense to us. Because we're in the day. If someone looks back, if the Lord Jesus tarries and doesn't come for a thousand years and someone looks back on this day, they're going to wonder how in the world. But, but they see the beginning and the end. They're going to see where God accomplished something great in America. God accomplished something great in his church, purged his church, purged his pulpit, cleaned some stuff out, got rid of some garbage, and brought his church forth shining in a dark world. I believe God is up to something. I believe God's going to do something great. Now, if we had been alive in the days of these Old Testament stories, it would have appeared as though God had left the scene. Kind of like 2020. Am I by myself? It would almost appeared as though God had vacated the premises. And just left us standing here alone, it would almost be as though to be in that day, it would be like God was no longer walking with his children and protecting his children and taking care of his children. Because at the time, things seemed so bad. You you think about the life of Moses. If we just look at that one simple life, in the first place, By the time God sent a deliverer over to get the Jews out from under the bondage of Egypt, they'd been in slavery for nearly 400 years before he even sent them a deliverer. But check out the cool part about the deliverer. Moses was born in a day when the law of the land, according to the Pharaoh, the king, the one that could have you killed just because he didn't like the way you combed your hair today. He needed no reason for anything. He had absolute control over everything. The law of the land was any Hebrew male child born must be killed at birth, period. No exceptions, no excuses. If a Hebrew woman has a male child, the midwife of the Egyptians that was there was to kill that child immediately because Pharaoh did not want them to continue growing because they were going to have too many males and become too strong and be able to take over his country. So in a day when the law of the land is that every male Hebrew child born must be murdered immediately, God raised up a male Hebrew child in the the Pharaoh's house and had his daughter raise him up. It may not have made sense that all of the Hebrew male children were being killed. Why didn't God just kill the Pharaoh? Why didn't God just stop it some other way? God brought a male child up in the house of the one that passed the law that said, this little boy can't live. See, that's just the way God does things. God 
made a way to raise up a deliverer. Now, you know the story as Moses got a little older. One of the Egyptians was beating up one of his Hebrew brethren. He got in a fight with the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian. So now Moses, the deliverer of God's children, is a murderer. He is a fugitive from the law. And he has to run. And he goes over and he becomes a shepherd. But way over on the other side of the Midian Desert, God shows up in a bush burned with fire, yet it's not consumed. And he calls this little boy that was born in the time when he should have been killed, but God had him raised in the Pharaoh's house so that he knew the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh knew him. And he said, now I need for you to go back and deliver my people. I imagine a lot of stuff didn't make sense in that August of 2020. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I imagine a lot of things look upside down. It'd be like, why? Would God do things this way? Because God don't think like we think. God don't do like we do. God's ways aren't like our ways. They're higher than our ways. You look at the life of Jacob. Jacob absolutely loved Rachel. And he wanted her so bad that Laban, her father, said, Serve me. Work for me. Give me all you got for seven years. And I'll give you my daughter for your wife. So he earned her. He labored for seven years to get her as his wife, only to be deceived at the end of seven years and to be given Leah as a wife. He didn't love Leah. He didn't want Leah. He didn't care. The Bible says she's tender-eyed. I'm sorry, but I think that means she's pretty ugly. But for whatever it means, he didn't want her. But that's what he got. So Laban says, well, she's the oldest. I had to do it that way. But if you'll serve me for seven more years, I'll give you Rachel to be your wife. So he serves another seven more hard-earned years, 14 hard labor, working, serving years, just to get Rachel for his wife, only for her to be barren and could have no children. Now, the Bible tells us that Leah, she's spitting out children like rabbits. I think her gestation period must have been about three months because she's laying them out there. In this battle between Rachel and Leah and Rachel with her heart broke, she throws a concubine into the equation to bear me some children on my behalf. Leah says, I got some concubines, so she throws some in. So now... Jacob's got these concubines. you got all these children coming along. And Jacob's got all these children. But finally, when you get down to Genesis chapter 30, <laughs> woo, in verse number 22, God remembered Rachel. Don't you ever think God forgot you. It may not seem like it. You may have to see 15 children born from another woman. You may have to see concubines and a lot going on. It may take 50 years of your life that seems like it's upside down. And it looks like God has forgotten you. But God has never forgotten you. You are his beloved. You are his child. God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bare a son. Said, God had taken away my reproach, and she called his name Joseph. We get down to the 37th chapter of Genesis. Verse number 1 says that Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lads with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, which would have been concubines, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. What that means is he went out there to where they were supposed to be shepherding the flock, and them boys was up to no good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They were doing some stuff they weren't supposed to be doing, and their little brother came back and told on them. Verse number 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream. He told his brethren they hated him yet the more. He said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheep stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. His brethren said to him, 
Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou have dominion over us? They hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. He dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren. He said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. He told it to his father and to his brethren. His father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Joseph was loved by his father more than his brothers. That, that's what the book said. Joseph is not only the son of Jacob's old age, he's the son of Rachel. He's the son of the beloved. Since the day he laid eyes on Rachel, he wanted her as his wife. He has loved her since the day he met her. And he has been through so much thick and thin. He's had to get Leah. Now he's got these concubines. He's got children everywhere. Rachel could never have one. But he is the first son of his beloved Rachel. She finally has this son. And it's not just any son. It is Joseph. It is the son that God promised when he saw her tears. Joseph made, or Jacob made this coat for Joseph. So Joseph's going around with this cape, this, this, this cloak, this tunic that flows, comes over like a robe. He's wearing this coat of many colors while his brothers are out there wearing shepherd's clothes. He, he's going around. He's going to stand out in the crowd because his father has taken these different cloths and, and put them together and so they absolutely hate Joseph I, I looked up that word and wanted to study and find out what all the the different meanings might be to the the Hebrew word that is translated hate and and you know what that word was translated to mean hate it had two meanings hate and enemy they hated him as though he were an enemy they didn't even see him as a brother. As a matter of fact, the text there says they hated him so bad they could not speak peaceably. They had nothing good to say to him, and they had nothing good to say about him. The Bible says they hated him so much the more. Joseph has this dream, and in this dream his brother's sheaves bow down to him. It's a picture of his brother's bowing down in front of him. Now, if your brothers already hate you, I'm not so sure telling them about that dream was the wisest decision. Seemed like you might have wanted to just keep that into yourself for a little bit. But God, everybody know those two words, right? But God had a plan. So I put a couple things together just to kind of give you a plan, and I want, I want to give you these. It took his brother's hatred of him to kidnap him and put him in a pit. It took his brother's hatred of him to hate him enough to sell him as a slave to a band of Midianites. It took his brother's hating him enough to take his coat of many colors, probably enjoyed ripping it to shred, dipping it in goat's blood to go back and tell their father that, that he was torn apart by a wild animal. It took Joseph being sold into slavery to get him into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house is not the destination. Somebody please pay attention. You're in some steps along the way. Potiphar's house is not the destination. It's one of the steps that you got to go through to get to where you're going in life. So he has to end up in Potiphar's house as a slave so that Potiphar's wife might have a crush on him. That Potiphar's wife might try to seduce him. And because he fled from her, she lied about him. So he had to be seduced by Potiphar's wife in Potiphar's house so that he could end up in prison. That's not the destination. That's just another step along the way. But he had to end up in prison in the cell so that he could meet one of the servants from the Pharaoh's house. Big cheese, big dog, so that he might meet 
one of the servants. He had to meet that servant so that that servant could get put back in front of the Pharaoh so that Pharaoh could mention Joseph so that Joseph could come interpret a dream. (laughs) Which is where all of it started in the first place. So it took it took getting Joseph to come to the Pharaoh's house to interpret a Pharaoh's dream to get Joseph in, in the Pharaoh's house. It took getting Joseph in the, in the Pharaoh's house so that God, oh, you're going to love this. It took getting Joseph in the Pharaoh's house so that God could bless the Pharaoh. The enemy of God's children. The one who's going to be the one that brings them under captivity in the first place. The one that eventually is going to order the murder of Hebrew babies. It took God getting Joseph in the Pharaoh's house so that he could bless the Pharaoh. It took God blessing the Pharaoh's house... (laughs) For the Pharaoh to see God's hand on Joseph so that he might make him second highest in all of the land. It took getting Joseph second highest in all the land so that God could have him store up grain for seven years so that he could send a great drought across the land. It took God sending a great drought across the land to cause all of the plant and all of the crop to dry up and die. It took the drought for years to cause all of the plant to die so long that that they ran out of food so that there was no food for the animals or for man. Even God's children were suffering. And it took all of that to get Joseph's brothers to cross over the desert and bow down as sheaves just like God said it was going to happen. God always has a plan. When it was all said and done, his father Jacob and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth. For so many years, So many things were not so good. But if you put all of it together, see, we don't have the end of 2020 yet. We don't have the end of COVID-19. We don't have yet what God's doing in His church. We don't have yet what God is doing around the world. We don't have yet what God may be doing to draw people unto Him. We don't have the end of 2020. We have the end of this story. We, we look at all the bad things and all the stuff that happened and all that went out. And, and, and we say, man, that stuff is terrible. All that stuff is bad. We don't see anything good. But when it's all said and done, in every storm that you look at, in every trial and everything that God does, what you find is that God delivered his children through the storm. He did not deliver them around the storm. He did not deliver them from the storm. He delivers his children through the storm. From the very beginning, God has a plan, and that plan was to accomplish something. We don't have to understand what God is doing. We just have to trust him. We don't have to understand the mind of God. We don't have to understand all that's going on. See, one of the things that we know and that's our word. One of the things that we know is that the devil hates God. Amen in the house? One of the things that we know is that the devil hates you and I because we are children of God, redeemed of the blood, on our way to heaven. Our name is written down in glory. But, but now think about this. Every time the devil does something, Every time God allows the devil to do something. Just like when he put Jesus on the cross, right? Anytime that God allows the devil to do something, and the devil thinks, I've got him this time. I got him right where I want him this time. God turns that into good. 
God turns that into good for God. God turns that into good for his children. And it makes the devil hate you even more than he did. Every time the devil thinks he's got something in place, every time the devil thinks he's got churches occupied, 60% of church has not returned. Of the churches that have opened the doors, 60% across the board is still sitting at home. Of the churches that have come, 40% maximum. Some denominations are a little higher than 40, some are lower, but it averages out that about 40%. You look right here in our church, you see the same thing is true. Less than... Less than 40% across the board is returning back to church. Every time God allows the devil to do something, and it looks to the devil like he succeeded, God is up to something good. And it's going to involve his children. At no point here in the Word of God does it ever say that all things are good. Well, what it says is if we could see things like God sees things. If we could see through the all-knowing mind of God. If we could see through the everlasting, eternal eyes of God. Then we would understand. But we don't. So it just boils down to faith. It boils down to one simple thing. We either trust him or we don't. We either have faith in him or we don't. See, here's, here's what I know. Now, I know that he was there for Moses. And he'll be there for me. He'll be there for you. I, I know I know that he was there for Jacob. I know that he was there for Rachel. I know he'll be there for you. I know that when I look at the life of Joseph, Joseph went through some bad stuff. None of us has been thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, cast into prison. None of us has been through any of that stuff. But we're looking at one of the promised ones. We're looking at one of, of the greatest saints of the Bible right there. You're looking at one of God's elect, one of the strongest of anything mentioned. You're looking at a representation of Christ himself. And, and you're looking at, I know that God was there for Joseph. And I know that he'll be there for you. See, I know that God was there for David. I've read the story. Saul was trying to kill him. He's running. He's hiding. Saul's got all of his armies of Israel out looking for David, trying to kill him. He don't even have time to fight battles because he's so busy trying to kill David. But God was there for David, and I know God's going to be there for me. I, I know. I've read it right here. I know that God was in the lion's den for Daniel, and I know he'll get in the lion's den for you. See, I know that still in the book of Daniel that, that he got down in the fire, walked in the fire with the three Hebrew children so that they had to go through the fire, but they came out that their hair wasn't singed, their clothes didn't smell like smoke. I know the book tells me that he was there for them, and I know that he'll be there for me because he said in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. He ain't changed, and he ain't going to change. He was there for them, and he's going to be there for me, and he's going to be there for you, and he's going to be there for all of his children in 2020. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, the Word of God tells us that he's no respect to a person. Verse number 35, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I read a devotion this week. From my Bible app. It's a Logos Bible app. It didn't say who wrote it. If it said who wrote it, I would give credit. But since I don't know who wrote it, I'm just going to tell you I didn't. How about that? Is that a fair enough quote? It's a commentary on Isaiah chapter 37. It says, Reassured by the word of the Lord, the poor trembling citizens of Zion grew bold and shook their heads at the enemy's threats. Strong faith enables the servants of God to look with calm contempt upon their most haughty foes. We know that our enemies are attempting impossibilities. They seek to destroy eternal life, which cannot be destroyed as long as Jesus lives. 
They seek to overthrow the citadel against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. They kick against the pricks of their own wounding and rush upon the bosses of Jehovah's buckler to their own hurt. We know their weaknesses. What are they but men? And what is man but a worm? They roar and swell like waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. When the Lord ariseth, they shall fly as chaff before the wind and be consumed as crackling thorns. Their utter powerlessness to do damage to the cause of God will cause the weakest soldiers of Zion to laugh at them. Above all, we know that God is with us. When he dresses himself in arms, where are his enemies? If he cometh forth from his place, the potsherds of the earth will not long contend with their maker. His rod of iron shall dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel, and in their very remembrance shall pass away from the earth. Away then, all fears. The kingdom of heaven is safe in the king's hands. Let us shout for joy. The Lord reigneth. End of quote. COVID-19 or not, God is in control. I want to read a little part of something else. About three days later, I read something. I won't read the whole thing to you. I want to read part of it because I, I believe there's two things in this for this. Christians, I believe there's a piece of encouragement in here for you. And anybody who may have never trusted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you need to pay close attention. to About, about two minutes, I'll be done. <laughs> it says he is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. All the forces of heaven are at his beacon call. Christians, y'all listening, y'all going to like this. All the forces of heaven are at his beacon call. Legions wait at the door for his command. Cherubim and seraphim, watchers and holy ones, principalities and powers are all attentive to his voice. If our eyes were not blinded, we would see horses and chariots of fire all around his beloved. You've heard us talk about it before. If we could see what's around us, it'd scare us to death. God has chariots of fire right now protecting his children from the fiery darts of the wicked ones. The forces of nature are all subject to his absolute control. Stormy tempest, lightning and rain, snow and hail, the soft dews and the cheering sunshine come and go at his decree. The, the thing that I read there goes on for quite a while. I want to skip down. I'll read the end. I will tell you this. If you're watching the news and watching all that's going on, you need to turn that garbage off and start reading some stuff like this. You're, you're not going to get strength to walk through what's going on reading what the world has to say. The world's what got us into this mess. Sin's what brought us to where we are. You, you need to find you some good stuff on the Scriptures and bathe your time in it. The thing goes on then. It says, My soul to see it, that thou art at peace with the mighty King. See to it. See to it that thou art at peace with this mighty King. Yea, more, see to it that thou enlist under his mighty banner. For to war against him is both foolish and hopeless, but to serve him is glory and peace and honor. End of quote. Christians, we ought to be encouraged. Do we like what's going on? Nope. Can we change it? Nope. We like what we're doing with the SEC football? Nope. We like wearing masks in the grocery store? Nope. You, you like wearing masks in Walmart? I don't like going to Walmart anyway. I don't know why I even use that for an example. Do, do we like some of the things that's going on? Nope. But we're on the winning team. It doesn't matter what the score is, and it doesn't matter how many seconds are left in the game. Whether Christ comes back tomorrow or doesn't come back for a thousand years makes no difference. We know what the final score is. We know who the final winner is, and we're on the winning team. No matter what happens, no matter where all this stuff goes, I, I, I can tell you, I, I believe, you probably think like I believe, I don't know where the end of this stuff is. I, mean, I don't believe there is an end, to be honest with you. I think things get a little better after November. I think the inflation of it goes down some. But COVID-19 is real. It's not going away. They talked about it making a, a pass coming through in the fall, and it made it in the summer when they said heat killed it. Well, somebody forgot to tell it that in Georgia and Florida because it's been hot down here and it ain't dead. It's doing quite well. So the truth is, they don't know what to tell you about this stuff. They told us the heat was going to kill and it was going to make a round in the fall. It made a round in the summer. Then, Lord, help us come fall. 
If it's going to make a round bigger than what it did, and our children are just fixing to go to school, and teachers are going to start back gathering, and we're going to start getting back together, and some people are going to go back to work because the teachers in the school system, God help us. I don't know that there is an end to it. And if there is, we don't know what it is. I'll be honest. That's not for us to figure out. That's for us to get on our knees before God. If this hasn't, come on, Christians, y'all listening? Can I buy a vowel? I said I'd be two minutes, but I thought I would have been, but I'm having a hard time shutting up. If this hasn't, Christians, y'all listening out there, if this hasn't driven you to your knees, God help you. If this hasn't driven the church to our knees, no wonder God sent something like this here. If this hasn't driven God's children to your knees, that God would spare this nation and pull us out of this stuff that we're in, that God would, would reach down and help us to, to rise up out of it. If, it, if, it if, this, if this hasn't been enough, Christians, to drive you to your knees on behalf of brothers and sisters in Christ and on behalf of a nation, even on behalf of your own family, I, I don't know what it's going to take to put us on our knees. If this hasn't been enough, who knows, who knows how long it'll take? That may depend on how long it takes for the Christian to actually get on their knees. Anybody in here ever been accused of being hard-headed? Anybody of you know that it's true? The longer we're hard-headed, the longer we stay off our knees, the longer we can expect it to last. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The longer it takes the church to turn back out, to get back in the house of God, to get back to serving the only one that matters, and to get on our face praying before God, the longer this thing can last. So who knows? It doesn't matter where it leads. It doesn't matter when the end is or what the end is or what it looks like. Here's what we know. Our God is in complete control. And he will take care of his own. Th things don't have to make sense. Like with the story of Joseph, things don't have to make sense all the time to make sense in the end. We just don't quite have the end of the story yet. But we know who wins in the end. Amen? But it says right there, for those of you, if you never trusted Christ, it, it says, see to it. See to it that thou art at peace with this king. You need to see to that. See to it that thou enlist with this mighty king under his mighty banner. For to war against him is both foolish and hopeless. That, that's what it says. That's for the lost. That's for the one that may have never trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, every day that you get out of bed, you are one day closer to hell. Every day that you get up separated from God is one more day that you're living on borrowed time. But today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be saved. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit is drawing you. I can't do that. Church members can't do that. It's only the Holy Spirit that can draw you and let you know you need to be saved today. Christian, I want to ask if you would, if you bow your heads and be in prayer for just a minute. I want you to ask, ask you to be in prayer that if there's anybody watching live stream, it doesn't matter if now or if it's August of next year on a recording. I want you to be praying that right now God would use this invitation to reach somebody, somewhere. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can change all that today. But it's up to you. You, you can go to hell if you want to. But it will be your choice because God's already paid the price. God's already made a way of salvation. And the way is the gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. There is no other way. You can choose to say no, but I have no idea why you would. It makes no sense at all to me. Why would anybody choose a lake of fire and eternal torment and suffering? Why would anybody choose eternal suffering? It makes no sense. When the price is paid and you don't have to, you can dine at the king's table forever, reign with the Lord. It's all up to you. Are you willing to trust him today? Say, Lord, I am a sinner. There must be a confession of your own mouth. You can't be saved until you realize you're lost. And there must be, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. 
Forgive me of all my sins. Sins past, sin future. Forgive me of all my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life that I might be a child of God. It doesn't have to be that exact prayer. You just have to surrender your heart to Christ. It's not a poem. It's not a magic prayer. It's not magic words. You just have to confess your sin and ask Jesus Christ to save your soul from your heart. And he's faithful and just to do so. He was there for Joseph. He'll be there for you if you'll just come meet him. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open, I will come in and sup with him. He with me. He's, he's waiting. He's calling to the lost right now. It is the best time in your life to be saved. There'll never, never be a better time than right now. Every day, you're flirting with disaster to run from God.